Um, now the final words of Jesus. Um, in those last hours, those last minutes, uh, as he laid on that cross being crucified for our sins. Um, and you know, as we've, we've walked through, one of the things is, that we've learned is that all the sins were placed on Christ at that time. The sins of the past, the sins of the present, as well as our sins of today and tomorrow, sins of the future. We started out um, with the cry, Ali, Ali, Lema Sabachthani. That cry of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know, everything that we'll learn through this process is that what God said is so applicable to us today. And what we learned there in that passage of Scripture was, was that Jesus' cry was not a cry of doubt, but it was a cry of desperation because he had been separated from his Father because of our sin, not because of his sin, because he was sinless. And we were reminded um, that Sunday when we talked about that, there are those times that, that, um, that we come to that are desperate in life. And uh, we were reminded that Sunday that God has never abandoned us and he never will. There are some times that you may feel that way. I was on the phone this morning with somebody that felt as if God had abandoned them. And I said, oh, no. I said, he's not left. He's right there. And we, we learned some things that we could grasp onto for those times that you're sinking and you feel like you're drowning. Uh, we gave you a life preserver to hang on to that comes from God's Word. And I'm not going to go back through the details, but God is good all the time and all the time God's good. I don't care what you're involved in or what you're, what you're walking through right now, what you, might, what you might be involved in, what might be taking place or burdens have been placed on your shoulders. But guys, listen, the scripture says that God is good, and that good is, means that he is trustworthy, he is honorable, he is consistent, he is good all the time. And you need to hang on to that when you walk through those difficulties. Listen, as you walk through life, those things that you say, believe, will be tested, and it's in those times your faith becomes stronger and stronger, and you say, God... I will not walk away from you. I believe that you're good. And if, and if you've never done that before, there are testimonies. And see, I'm a testimony to that because I've walked through difficult times and I have been able to say, regardless, God, I'm going to hang on to that. The second thing besides God is good is that God is, God is for us. And, and the scripture says that he gave us his son. And if he gave us his son, is there anything that he wouldn't do for us? Think about that. If he went to the extent to give us his son. Look in Romans chapter 8 and read that. Is there anything that, that he wouldn't do for us? And then we also learn that God is with us, that that word never, that he'll never leave us or abandon us. We use that word so flippantly these days. I hear it all the time. Will you never? What that writer was saying is that he will never, Crystal, and we can, we can hold on to that life preserver, even when it seems his life has fallen apart. And then last week we went, went back to the, to, the, uh, to the cry of, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, there on that cross, Jesus didn't just teach us how to die, but he taught us how to live. And one of the most difficult things in life is coming to the realization that forgiveness isn't really a choice, but it's an act of obedience. And so I don't know whatever difficult situation you may have been involved in, 
But we learned that last way in, in saying for the believer to say, I won't forgive is an act of obedience, disobedience. And I don't know of any of us in here that would like to be able to say, I want to be disobedient. For those of us that are Christ followers, our desire should be able to be more Christ-like instead of church-like. Put on the good-looking clothes on Sunday morning and act like there's nothing going on, yet you walk through the door as bitter and broken and bruised. But Jesus taught us on the cross how to forgive. I want you to turn to John chapter 19 today, and I'm not going to go back through the story, but we're going to look today at, a, at another statement that Jesus made there on the cross. Um, and we've not looked at these in any specific order. But what we're going to look at today is, a, is another statement that Jesus made in those statements that he made there on the cross. And if you've got chapter 19, I hope that you do, as you pull out your Bibles. John chapter 19, verse 28 says this, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill the scriptures, he said this, I am thirsty. Would you say that with me? I am thirsty. Say it again. I am, I am thirsty. One more time. I am thirsty. Now we look at that statement and it makes logical sense that Jesus is crying out because of a physical thirst. Of everything that he had endured up until that time, we would look logically and say, yes, he's thirsty. Give the man some water. But what Jesus was doing is he was living out what had been prophesied hundreds of years earlier in the Psalms when David said, my strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And when I think about being thirsty, I have a very, very good mental picture of what being thirsty looks like because I remember being in high school and we would have what they called three-a-days. These days, I think they would put coaches in jail, John, for having three-a-day three football practices prior to the opening season. But in August, Brian, they would pull us up. We'd have practices at 6 o'clock in the morning, noontime, and at 6 o'clock in the afternoon. I know, wow, that's right. Wow was right. And at noontime, in the middle of August, with the humidity and the heat, it was extremely difficult. And what they would do to us, Tom, is they would throw these salt pills to us. I haven't seen a salt pill since football season when I was in high school. They were these little yellow pills, and they used to have these big old tubs of them, and they would hand them to us and feed them to us as we were going out the, out the door out to the football field. And they would just give us a handful, and we were supposed to eat these salt tablets. I remember being on the football field, and... Uh, my mouth was so stinking dry. I mean, if I would have spit, dust would have come out. That's how dry it was. I'm getting dry thinking about it. <clears throat> but I remember being so dry and just thinking to myself, there's a water hose right over there. If I can just get to it, you know, he'll probably kick me off the team. But they wouldn't even let us get any water. And back then, you guys can probably identify with this, that was what I, we would call cotton mouth. You know what I'm saying? Cotton mouth. Everybody's heard cotton mouth. Well, I had what you call cotton mouth, and I'm not talking about a snake, but I'm talking about I was dry, and I was a deep, deep thirst. But you know, for us to, to think about being thirsty in America is just probably something of the past because we get thirsty, we do. We, we stop by the convenience store, we grab us a bottle of water, or we pull into McDonald's and get us a cup of a tea or a coffee or something along that line. It's really difficult for, under, for us to understand because of the convenience today of being able to quench our thirst from a physical perspective. I found a statistic that I thought was unreal. There are close to, what, 7 billion people in the world today. Seven billion people. 
Close to 900 million of those people in our world today live without fresh drinking water. See, what you have access to, what we have access to in our culture, we don't even understand what it's like to live in other cultures where there is not safe drinking water. That was one of the things that prompted Al and Jan to say, listen, we don't really need a jacuzzi that bad. We're going to put that on the sidetrack, and we want to be able to help a community. And so we're going to purchase a well so that a community will be able to uh, not only survive but be able to thrive. Here you have close to 900 million people having access, lack of access to safe drinking water. That's almost one in eight people. And where Jesus lived and where he walked, water wasn't always readily available. And so people would walk many, many miles sometimes to be able to get a cool drink of water. And here's Jesus in those last moments of his, of his life crying out and saying, I am thirsty. I'm thirsty. But I wonder what Jesus was thirsty for, Kim. We read that from our perspective and we see, but I wonder if that was what he was thirsty for. And if I were to say to you guys today, I'm thirsty, some of you might get up and go back and walk and get a drink of water and bring it back to me. But I wonder if there was a different kind of thirst. Some of us may thirst for significance. Some of us may thirst for just another dollar. Some of us may thirst for acceptance. And you know, it's amazing because that thirst, that desire within us can prompt us to do some things that are just very unusual. One of the greatest illustrations of thirst, I think, in the scriptures are found. We, we went through this passage of scripture a while back, but, but I thought as we were dealing with the issue of thirst, there's no way we can get by but going back to this passage and looking at it again because it's so applicable for us today. And so I want you to go in your Bibles into John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And sometimes people ask me, why is it important to, to bring your Bibles? Because we put the stuff up on the screens. Let me tell you why it's important. Because it's important so that you can sit there and you can underline things as, as, as we talk about God's Word. You can underline things that the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you can make notes. Um, I used to do that all the time. And I love to just go in and sit because I don't have the opportunity to always sit. I love to go in and sit and take my Bible. And, and, and as somebody is preaching or as I'm listening, to be able to make notes of what I hear God saying to me. Um, so listen, just don't bypass not bringing your Bible because you say it's up on the screen, but bring God's Word. But I want to give you a little bit of a history about John chapter 4 and where we are. We are some 700 years um, before this story takes place, there was a king by the name of Sargon. He was an Assyrian king. And what Sargon did is he went into that area of Palestine and he basically conquered that area. And when he conquered that area, he took some of the, some of the Jews and he exported them to other countries, to other places. And in the meantime, what he did is he brought in some people from other countries into that area of Israel. And over a period of time, these people of, of these different races and nationalities and cultures, they sort of set up shop, and they begin to intermarry with the Jews that were there. And the people that were intermarried, they became known as a race named the Samaritans. And the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. They didn't want anything to do with them. Matter of fact, they felt that the Jews that had intermarried had betrayed the Jewish race. And so you've got these, these, this group of people called the Samaritans. And many times when the Jews were passing through an area, they would go around the Samaritans they knew where they knew they lived, so they would go around them so they wouldn't have, even, even wouldn't have to deal with them. So it would be like somebody from Lady Lake 
on their way to Leesburg, and they would go around Fruitland Park because they didn't like people from Fruitland Park. Does that sort of make sense to you? Like, why would you do something like that? Hey, go to point A to point B, you know, bypass. But they would go around there. And that's exactly what the people there would do. They would go around because they didn't want anything to do with those that were called Samaritans. And in this story, we're going to see where Jesus has a conversation with a woman at a well. Jesus, a Jew, has a conversation with a woman who's a Samaritan. And this just wasn't any woman, Diana. This was a woman with a reputation. This was a woman that had a past. This was a woman that had been married five times, that we'll find out. And presently, the guy that she was living with wasn't her husband. Now, we don't have a clue why she was married five times. I don't know. Maybe she didn't wear makeup that well. Maybe it was the fact that uh, uh, her husband's died, and I wouldn't have wanted to been the sixth husband if all five of the first five had died. We really don't have a clue of why she had had five husbands, and the guy that she was living with wasn't her husband. It could have been the fact she had made some bad decisions, or maybe her husband made some bad decisions. The only thing that we know is this woman that day went to the well because she was thirsty. She needed something to drink. Now, customarily, culturally, a woman would go to the well early in the morning or late in the afternoon. Customarily and culturally, a woman would go with some other ladies. It was a time of conversation, talking about Sister Mary down across the street. No, it was just a cultural thing. It was a gathering, and they would go together in the morning or later in the afternoon. But what happens is we see that this woman comes to the well in the middle of the day. And she also comes by herself, which says an awful lot about how many friends that she had. And you know, God didn't create us to live life alone, did he? It's difficult. We need one another. That's why another reason small groups are so important to us, that we have an opportunity to interact and share and talk about what God's Word says and how it interacts with us. And we could say this. We could say that it was such a coincidence that God ended up, Jesus Christ ended up at the well that day, and it was a coincidence. But I have to believe that Jesus didn't do anything by coincidence, but it was by intentionality that he ended up there that day because he knew that there would be a woman that was there. And listen, Jesus didn't go out of his way. He didn't run from culture to run from her. He went outside the culture so that he could run to her, not run from culture to run away from her. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, in John chapter 4, verses 3, this is what it says. John chapter 4, verse 3. So he left Judea, returned, and returned to Galilee. So you've got... Starting in the south, he is on his way to the north. In between point A and point B, there is Samaria. And John makes such an interesting statement here because look what he says. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Well, the reality was he didn't have to go. He didn't have to go. And it's almost like John is looking back and somebody questions Jesus and said, Jesus, we can't go that way. That's not the way that we go. We know we go this way. We go around Samaria. And Jesus says, no. We have to go through Samaria. Verse 5, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob had given, given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime. Soon a woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. And he was alone at that time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. 
So Jesus is there at the well when this woman arrives. It's probably a very difficult and a very awkward moment, Michael. She's probably looking down, wondering what in the world is the man doing there at the well at this time of the day. And then Jesus, all of a sudden, he breaks the silence by making a comment. And Jesus asked her for a drink. The fact that Jesus would even talk to her, Brittany, said an awful lot about how God viewed her as a person. See, when somebody didn't act a certain way or their lifestyle wasn't a certain way, most people would just ignore them and pass by them. But you've never done that, have you? You've never, you've never bypassed somebody that needed help because they didn't look like you or act like you or smell like you. But here was Jesus beginning a conversation with this, this young lady. And what he, the fact that he would even speak to her said an awful lot that he valued her enough to speak to her. And look at what the woman says in verse 9. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? The woman's basically saying, how can you associate with me? Don't you understand who you are, your background, your culture? And don't you know who I am? And then look what Jesus says to her in verse 10. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. She's probably looking at Jesus thinking, how in the world can you give me anything? What do you have to offer me that's so special? And she's checking him out, and look at what she says in those verses that follow. But, sir, you don't even have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is extremely deep. Where are you going to get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his, and his animals, that is, that he, his sons, and his animals enjoy? They're sitting there at the well and they're talking about water. And Jesus mentioned something about living water. And all of a sudden, this woman like gets defensive. Well, how in the world can you offer me something, me something different than what's been passed down for generations within my path? How can you offer us something that's better than what Jacob had provided? And she says, you mean to tell me that you have something to offer me that is better than what Jacob provided? And Jesus said in verse 13, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. And I can see Jesus over there pointing. You know, anybody who, who drinks of that water, they're going to become thirsty again. Become thirsty again. It's like having a Coke. Anybody ever want a Coke to try to quench your thirst? And you, somebody stands up and goes, you know, you drink that Coke, but you're going to be thirsty in about five minutes. And she says, Jesus says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty because it becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And here's Jesus saying to her, I'm offering you something that's more important than the physical sustenance that you seek. I'm offering you something that is eternal, that has eternal significance. I'm not offering you something that's temporary, but what I'm offering you is something that's permanent today. What I'm offering you will quench the thirst that you have. Wow. Cool drink of water. I remember being, um, we were picking watermelons one year, 
And uh, a friend of mine that I was helping pick watermelons up in Georgia said to me, man, I, I hope this guy comes and gets some watermelons from us this year. And I said, well, why? He said, man, he brings the best water. And I'm thinking like, what's the big difference about water? Water's water. And he goes, man, no, you got to have some of this water. Um, and so this guy shows up to buy some watermelons. He picks him up a little trailer of watermelons to take them back up to the mountains. And sure enough, he brought, he, he brought Gary uh, a, a jug of this water. And so, you know, it was, it was like gold. So he would pour a little cup out and he'd say, taste this. Best water I think I've ever had in my life. Mountain water, Bert. Good stuff. And Jesus is here saying, listen, what I'm offering you will quench your thirst that you have. Verse 15, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water that I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come get this water again. Basically, she's saying, sir, I don't really understand this, and I've never met you before, but something tells me that you're different. Something tells me that you have something to offer me that's significant. Something tells me that you have something to offer me that I need. And look at what Jesus says to her. He says something that's totally off the mark. And we're like going, now where in the world did that come in the, in, the, in the process of this conversation? Look at what he says in verse 16. Go and get your husband, he says to her. We go from talking about water, we talk about quenching a thirst, and all of a sudden Jesus is in the middle of a conversation with this lady asking her about something that she didn't want to talk about. You ever been in a conversation with somebody and, and they're wanting to have a conversation with you and you're not wanting to talk about whatever they're wanting to talk about? Now all that stuff that this woman at the well wished that she for, could forget, the stuff that she tried to use to quench her thirst with, Jesus all of a sudden he brings it up. And he brings it up in the middle of the conversation. And look at what she said. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. As a matter of fact, you have five husbands. You've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You have certainly spoke the truth. You know why reading God's Word can be so difficult? You know why sometimes, Gene, coming to church can be difficult? Because when we listen to the truth and we read what God's Word has to say, it has the ability of pulling back the curtain and revealing the truth of those things that we don't want to address in our lives. So sometimes, instead of having to deal with that, we just say, well, I'll, I'll just go to church every once in a while. If the pastor says something I don't want to listen to, I'm just going to leave and go out the door and I'll forget about it. And I sure don't want to read God's Word and listen to what it says because it might bring up something that I know that is true that I just don't want to do. But it can be really, really difficult God's Word has a way of pulling it back and revealing it. And what Jesus did that day is he revealed just how empty and how thirsty and how broken she was. <laughs> and the only thing that Jesus wanted to do was what? Quench your thirst. That's all he wanted to do was to quench your thirst. But in the middle of that, the whole time, now all of a sudden she's going to change the subject again. Jesus she says this, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. And then there's this conversation that takes place about Jews and Samaritans and where they worship and, and uh, differences between Jews and Samaritans and about theology. And you've done that before. You've changed the subject with people, haven't you? 
Now, you've done that where you've changed the subject because you don't want to talk about what's being talked about. And, you know, it's almost like uh, I've got an excuse for everything that's ever gone on, but I just don't want to talk about that right now. So let's talk about something that's really controversial. Let's throw some things up on the table that will really see where you are in this process. And Jesus just sort of goes along with her. And look at what it says in verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Now, the difference here is that the Jewish leaders, the Jewish people were looking for a militaristic leader to come, somebody that was going to come in and take control. The Samaritans, on the other hand, believed that the Messiah would be a prophet or a teacher. And she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. In other words, thanks for the conversation, but no thanks. I know there's a Messiah, and I know that he's going to come, and when he does, he's going to explain everything to us. And then Jesus looks her in the eye, and he says to her, I am the Messiah. Unbelievable that you come to the place in your life to realize who the Messiah is and what he has to offer. I can imagine that young lady right there putting that water jug that she had brought, setting it over to the side and looking at him and staring, to, staring there in his face because at that moment there was something that became very, very clear that what Jesus was telling her was the truth and she couldn't run from it. She couldn't run from it. In that moment, what she did was she embraced the reality of who Jesus was and what he was offering to her. Look at what it says in verse 27. About that time, then the disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, specifically a woman at the well who was a Samaritan. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? Verse 28, the woman left the water jar beside the well, ran back to the village to tell everybody, and she said, come and see a man who has told me everything that I have ever, ever done. So here's a woman that came to the well to get what? She brought what? A jar, and she left the jar there. What she had come to get water in, she left it there and she ran back to the village because what that jug represented is it represented that ongoing thirst time that she had and she left it right there. That jug was used to bring temporary relief for the thirst that she had experienced. But she leaves it there, she runs back to town, and she starts telling everybody about this man that she had met that told her everything that she had done. And I bet they started laughing at her. It's like somebody coming to, to Wildwood and saying, well, let me tell you, this man has told me everything that I've ever done. And people are like going, we all know what you've done. And so everybody in town knows what you've done. They talk about it over here at the hair salon. They talk about it at the ball fields. We all know your business. You feel like that sometimes in a small community, don't you? And they're laughing at her. They're probably saying, a prophet? It didn't take a prophet to figure out your past. Everybody knows. He's probably heard your business down the street at the local pub or something. And they said, we all know. And you know what? She never tried to defend her past. Not once did she try to defend her past. She didn't try to make up any excuses. The only thing she did that day was admit how thirsty that she really was. 
The only thing she ever did, Felix, was admit how empty she was. But there was something that was different about her. Hmm. Something that was different. And the people that saw her that day, Tracy, knew. Do you know the people that you come in contact with on a daily basis in the workplace, in the ball fields or wherever you are, the restaurants, food markets, do you know they can look at you and tell whether or not you're different? Those of us that are Christ followers, people should be able to see that we're different. They saw this woman. They knew that she had a past. They already had a perceived uh, perception of what she should act like and what she should do. But these people saw her and they knew that she was different. They knew that something had taken place. She didn't try to cover it up. She just declared and admitted her thirst and her emptiness to those that were right there. And the Bible says in verse 30 that the people came streaming in from the village to see him. Look at verse 39. It says, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything that I ever did. The woman who left that day with the intent of going to the well, taking her jug to be filled, left the water jug there, yet came back filled. What was it that quenched the thirst? Verse 40 goes on to say, When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you have told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. They heard the woman's story. They knew who she was. They saw evidence in her life that she had been changed. And it prompted those who were empty and thirsting and broken to go find out what had happened. See, because there are people just like us, just like that woman at the well that are thirsty, that are looking for their thirst to be quenched, that are needing to be filled. And God would use that woman at the well that day that was so thirsty that had a reputation. And God would use that woman to impact an entire community for Christ. Isn't that awesome? And somebody says there is no hope? Please. A woman with a reputation would have an impact on an entire community because her thirst would be quenched. question for you. Who is it that can be filled? Who is it whose thirst can be quenched? Who is it whose thirst can be addressed? Only those people that are wise enough, brave enough, courageous enough to say, I thirst. You hear me? Only those people that are that are willing to say, broken enough to say, I'm thirsty. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 38 and 39, he says, anyone, if you've got that, 
underline the word anyone, anyone, anyone who is thirsty may come to me, Jesus said. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink from the scriptures that I declare. The rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Anyone can be saved that's willing to turn, to repent, to admit their thirst, and to cry out to God. And here is Jesus in the flesh, the giver of life, crying out on the cross, saying, I thirst. And you know why? Because it was on the cross, guys, that he poured himself out for us. Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, beginning at verse 5, it says, He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. And it says, because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteousness, for he will bear all of their sins. The testimony of the woman at the well is that she came there because she was thirsty, but she left filled. And it was because she met Jesus. She met him. And if life has left you thirsty, whether it's been a decision that you've made or it's been a decision that you've faced the consequences of the other decisions that people have made, it really doesn't matter. If you found yourself on the place on an endless journey that seems to run to leave you uh, quenched, uh, uh, thirsty, and dry and empty, if you're in that that process of life and it seems like you're just grasping for straws grasping for something else Jesus said anyone who comes to me anybody who's thirsty I'll fill them Isaiah 55 1 says this anyone thirsty come and drink anyone is anyone Gail anyone willing to say that's me. I'm thirsty. I need you. There are some of us that are believers in this room, and you've forgotten that. It is so easy for us to get involved in stuff and in the midst of life forget that and look for other sources of nourishment and refreshment. Just one more sale, one more dollar bill, one more thing over here, one more, just another job, or just another, if I just had just another woman, she would, she would cure my thirst. If I just had another man, he would cure my thirst. Doesn't work, guys. It doesn't work that way. You need to come back to the well today because Jesus is standing there waiting, saying, I'm here. All you are thirsty, and I'll fill you. But there are some of you here today that have, you've never experienced what it is to be filled. As a matter of fact, you've had a really difficult time even admitting the fact that you're thirsty. Always seem to have an excuse. Always to be, seems to be somebody else's problem. But today, what Jesus is saying to us is, if you're willing to admit it, if you're willing to say, I'm thirsty, I'm here to meet you right where you are. Would you bow your heads with me, please?
for the person that's a believer today right there where you are. Jesus expects us to come to him confessing right where we are and the mistakes that we've made. Just tell him, Lord, I'm, I've tried to quench things on my own and I just can't do it. And today, Lord, I'm admitting to you. I just want to say, Lord, that I've gotten off track. But Father, I'm coming to you confessing this is where I am and I know that you're faithful to forgive me. Father, I'm thirsty. I'm coming back to you today. If you're a believer today and that's you, would you just tell him? Just tell him that right where you are. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And then for those of you that are here today that have never trusted Jesus, you might be trying to just chase life by the tail, trying to fill the void, trying to quench the thirst. What I'm praying for you today is you're just willing to stop and just to admit I'm thirsty, that I'm empty. And Jesus, that I'm going to come to you today to have my thirst quenched. Doesn't matter about your past. We've learned that Jesus can use you, that he can fill you. The Bible teaches us that every one of us are sinners and that the price of sin is death eternal separation from God. But our Heavenly Father loved us so much that he demonstrated his love that while we were yet sinners, he sent his only son Jesus to die. A lot of times we ask, well, how is a person saved? What is a, what is a person supposed to do? And the Bible says that Jesus has already done everything except bringing us to a place of saying, Lord, I want to receive you. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. And that means that a person is saved just like that woman at the well was by admitting their sin, admitting their thirst, and believing that Jesus is the Lord and committing to live for him. So if you've never trusted Christ today, would you be willing to go to him at the well and to have that conversation and to look him in the eye and say, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died on that cross for me. And I believe that you are the only one that will satisfy my thirst. Father, I'm thankful today that we can come and we can read your word and how it, how it pierces our hearts. May it not be the eloquence of anything that's been said or the greatness of the music or the spirit of the people that are here. God, would it be your word, though, that penetrates our hearts and brings us to a place of repentance. For those that are here, that know you but have fallen away, Dear Jesus, I pray that this morning they would admit, confess, and return to you. That they would be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Father, for those that are here that have never trusted Jesus, I pray that they would put themselves in the position of the woman at the well, that they would see that, Jesus, you're standing there waiting to forgive them, to offer them, uh, offer them living water that will quench that thirst that they have. But, Lord, you can't do it until we're honest enough to admit it. We can't do that, Lord, and you can't do it, Lord, until they're honest enough to admit it and, Father, to believe that you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. So, Lord, if there are people here today that don't know you, this morning would they be willing, as Brian plays, just to come stand with me and say, listen, today I want to trust Jesus. That's all I'm asking. Today I want to trust Christ. So, Lord, as we sing, this is an invitation time for those of us that know you, Father, to draw back to you, 
to draw close to you, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. To those that have never, ever made a decision to trust Christ, Lord, would they be courageous enough today to be bold enough, willing enough to stand, to come see me this morning and say, I want to believe. I want to trust you. I want to admit my sin. Jesus, I want you to fill me today. Father, thank you for hearing us. Brian's going to play just a song for us while your heads are bowed. And today, if that's you, you're here. If you're a believer, but you've been running down the wrong road, would you just pray this morning right there where you are? If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ today, if you're willing to admit your sin and to believe that Jesus died on a cross for you, the Bible teaches us that he's willing to fill us to pour out himself to us. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ while Brian pray, plays and your heads are bowed, would you be just willing to come to me and say today, I trust Christ. I want to follow him. I'm empty and I'm thirsty and today for the first time I'm coming to the place that I want to just cry out and say, God, I'm empty. I'm thirsty and I want to trust you. Just in a time of prayer as Brian plays, would you come? The invitation is for you. All who are thirsty, come and drink.